everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Chiyo Dogu. My guest today is Sapna Malhotra. Sapna is an international management consultant that has over two decades in the consulting sector. She's consulted with companies in the technology, financial services, and telecommunications industries. She started her career out in Accenture, and from there, she grew to consult with other companies until she now runs her own consulting business. She teaches a part-time course on international management consultancy at the George Brown College in Toronto. She's the author of the new book titled Connect the Dots, Turn Strangers into Meaningful Network Relationship, and she's also the host of Can Innovate Podcast, a podcast focusing on Canadian innovators. I'm pleased to have Stapna on the show today to tell us a little bit more about herself, her experience as a management consultant, the new book, Connect the Dots, and of course, anything else she has going on that she's willing to share. So with that said, Sapna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, T. I am so honored to be here. And honestly, I got to give you kudos and props because as a fellow podcaster, I know how much work and effort you put into this. And honestly, it's dynamic. Really fantastic. Thank you so much, Safna. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, Safna, let's get into it. You have a very varied career here. And I want to, you know, because this show is focused on people that are early stage in their career, I want to talk a little bit about some of those early stages of building your career in management consulting, and then we now get into your new book, Connect the Dots. So walk us to where it all started and how you got into management consulting. Yeah, so I actually started off at, uh, not to age myself, I started off at Anderson Consulting, and then it became a public company was called uh, Accenture at that time. Mm. So I started there, and I actually started as a financial analyst, and I was doing a lot of tax returns. I'm actually a CPA, an accountant. So numbers and money have always made sense to me. And I used to actually help with a lot of the partners with their tax returns. And I actually developed a really great relationship with a lot of the partners, and they saw that I had a really interesting background, and I guess I was kind of intriguing to them because I was able to explain financial terms easy to people with no financial background, mm. and then they brought me into consulting because we were doing a lot of work in the financial services sector, and that's kind of how it blossomed. So everything I've done has been, been truly by accident and just having really smart people around me. Awesome. Awesome. So you spent those years, you know, formulating or learning the management consulting skills in Anderson. And then you went into Accent, well, it became Accenture. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then you worked with different companies before you now started your own shop. So tell me a little bit more about some of the skills you learned as a management consultant and how were you able to apply that for other businesses that were not necessarily consulting specific? Yeah. So honestly, Accenture was so great because it really taught me and the partners are phenomenal because yes, we were delivering amazing systems and technology solutions, but they really had taught us about the importance of relationships. Mm. They taught us the importance of communication. They taught us the importance of stakeholder management. And these words are buzzwords, but there's actually an art to it. So yeah. instead of just checking the box, there's really an art form to it. And those basic principles have really allowed me to really grow. So then after I left Accenture, I joined Rogers. And Rogers, I was actually setting up a sales 
and marketing distribution type of um, platform where we're automating a lot of the sales compensation. Now, they didn't want me to come in because I was taking away power from the salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they've always had control to you know give whatever payments. But again, because I understood how to build the relationships and actually manage the stakeholders and the risks and all those things, they actually took me in into their world and I was able to really make change happen and that they were the actual champions of it, that they were the ones going, yes, this is a great system. It's really going to be great and, and so on because I was able to add more value. And then when I decided to move to England and I joined Amdocs UK, that is a crazy company because they have so many different cultures mm. and clients around the world. And then learning about how the cultural differences in, in order to make change, because it's not a cookie cutter model. Yeah. So in Asia, everyone would say, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And then I would get something totally different, right? And then versus North America, where they wanted it yesterday. And then in South America, you know, before anyone did business with me, I had to have dinners, lunches, coffees, and get invited to the family barbecue. And then I could do business with them. There's such different wow. cultural differences mm-hmm. in a lot of places. And being able to actually spend the time to get to know them and understand their communication styles, what are the words they are most comfortable and familiar with, understanding if they are a risk type of person or if they are a benefits type of person, I was able to cater my communication and build those relationships with everybody. And that's really kind of the essence that I think people keep forgetting that it's relationships is not like Netflix. It's not like you could turn it on and turn it off, right? It is something you have to build over time. And just like any marketer will tell you, you got to go through the phase of getting to know people so they can get to like you and then trust you. And it doesn't happen overnight. Mm, Very true. Very true. So how, how does that experience now fold back into you writing the book because I know as a management consultant, I was a management consultant as well. What you just said is so true that you know you learn stakeholder management and engagement, relationship building skills because you're trying to win work. So that means sometimes you might just have to go out drinking and just hanging out with the client in as much as you feel like, oh man, I just want to crawl into bed and just watch TV and not talk to anybody. <laughs> so you building these skills, these soft skills and these hard analytical skills all across the globe, learning about different cultures and management styles. How does that now um, create your perspective when you were writing the book to say, hey, who am I writing this book for and what do I want them to learn based on my 20 plus years of experience? So it's so funny that you asked that. Again, it was by accident because George Brown invited me to become a part-time professor to teach their consulting one-on-one class. And originally I had gone in there too, because they wanted to understand, you know, what, in, what management consulting is and what it's not. And I actually thought I scared all the students by giving them the dark side of consulting. Cause mm-hmm. even though it's a really lucrative career, it is a lot of hard work yeah. and people don't understand that there's times I had to pull in, you know, overnights, hours, like, you know, working around the clock and, you know, it's crazy how much work we do because the expectation is so high. Mm-hmm. So when George Brennan invited me to teach the consulting one-on-one and I started teaching these students and these students are not like young students. These guys are between the age of 25 to 50. This is kind of a post-grad type of diploma that they're working on. Okay. So they're mature students. Mature students. And then what they were asking were all these questions about 
networking and the th- challenges they had. They couldn't find a job. They couldn't deal with the relationship that they were having, that they were with their boss, or they couldn't make an impact and they couldn't get promoted. And there was all this frustrations. So I started giving them different types of you know curriculum and advice, and it totally shaped a different direction. So after one semester, you know, every class was about networking and building relationships and, you know, how can they make an impact and really do that? The book ended up writing itself, you know, from questions of I've got an accent, I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm shy and I'm an introvert, so I don't like being out there or I keep mm-hmm. going to all the worst networking events and I don't meet anyone interesting or I get a business card. Now what do I do? Yeah. And they're such relevant questions. And, you know, so we started to help. And that's exactly how the book came about, was based on them. And that's why the book's dedicated to them. Yeah. And even another one that I didn't hear you mention was basically, okay, you go to a networking event and you connect tons of business cards, maybe from a conference or whatever. By the time you come back, you try to reach out. Okay, you reach out once and then boom nothing. What do you do with that? How do you follow up? How do you build that relationship? Those are part of the things that are big challenges. I remember myself uh, many years ago when I was in grad school, they would tell you, go to networking events, go network, you know, go find a job. I, I don't think I can count on one hand the amount of friends that got a job going to networking events. It was just basically um, either they knew people from prior work or prior life, or they were just basically... Uh, applying online and they found a job. So I think this networking thing is a real skill that needs to be mastered well so that at least you can use it to your own benefit and advantage and not use it like, okay, I need to get something from this person, but I need to, like you said in your book, you know, it's a win-win. You give value so that the person can be reciprocative to give you value in the future. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, to your point, you know, yes, you get business cards. So one of the th- here's a quick little synopsis before we even I'll give you that that uh, golden nugget. All of my jobs that I've ever gotten outside of Accenture because they recruited me, Rogers, Amdocs, and all of my clients since I've gone independent have. Hello. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. You dropped off Ooh. for a minute there. Yeah. Skype is tricky that way. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'll start. I will start again. Yeah. So I definitely. That's a great question, Chi, and I'm going <laughs> to tell you all the secret nuggets about it. But I'll tell you something that all of my jobs I've had outside of Accenture because they recruited me, my Rogers, Amdocs, and all of my clients that I have since I've been independent have all been through referrals and networking. Mm. And 85% of jobs and roles and contracts are not posted anywhere. So you're then playing with a different algorithm of playing with something that 15% of everybody that can see that's being posted and you're competing with them. Mm -hmm. The odds are not great, right? Like they really are kind of stacked against you. And, you know, I remember reading a book like, um, okay, I'm going to say a decade ago, but, and it always said, if you have to go through a recruitment or through HR or something like that, you've already lost the game, mm-hmm. right? Because that's most of the jobs aren't there and you're going, you're playing against the current. What you need to do is start to kind of play a little differently that you're like, Hey, wait a minute, you're building the relationships and the relationships really matter because people refer people into companies 
that they know mm-hmm. that are they like and they're going to trust. That's not going to make them look bad mm-hmm. or blemish their internal branding or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it adds to that whole value piece. Now, in terms of collecting business cards, I get it. And one of the things I really, really try to do is that when I talk to somebody, I find out as much as I can about them. I actually i am so curious about them, what they're up to, what their goals are. I ask them so many questions about them. So then I know how to follow up with them afterwards. So I can say, hey, you know what? I saw this article that you know we were talking about. I just want to make sure I followed it through, da da da, da. I really enjoy our conversation. We didn't get a chance to talk more. Any chance you're free for a cup of coffee? Or are you going to be in the city anytime soon? Or are you going to be attending this event? And because I gave them something that they actually, that I heard that they needed or could potentially be useful, mm-hmm. they open it up and they connect with me. They're like, oh my gosh, it was so great. When can we you know, meet up? Yeah. But the other thing is I don't wait two weeks to follow up. If I'm at a five-day event, I am pulsating and taking a step in the first day to go and write down all my notes, my next steps, my plan of action, and I actually debrief those things, and then I actually execute it right away. Because I can never remember what I had for breakfast two days ago, mm-hmm. so they are not going to remember me two days later. Yeah. Very so true. I do it right away. Right away. Very true. Very true. So now, what are some of the most common barriers to networking in writing this book, as well as in your experience, and how are we able to? How can we overcome them? Well, a big one is that people think that you know being an introvert is a disadvantage. Yeah. And they're like, I'm too shy. I'm too this. You know what? It's actually a great thing that you're an introvert. So connection and human connection is actually decreasing. As we know, loneliness is on the rise because people don't actually actively hear each other anymore. So an introvert automatically wins because they actually actively deeply listen to somebody. So they could say one thing and the person could talk for 30 minutes and they will be remembered that that was the best conversation that they had. Just because someone took the time just to hear them. Mm-hmm. I know it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. You could barely say anything and be told that you're the best conversationalist in the world. <laughs> that, was, that was great for me. Okay. What are some other ones? So some other ones is that, you know, people get stumbled on when they introduce themselves, right? Like mm-hmm. they'll come out and, or someone will ask them, what do you do? And it's like, Boom, there's the problem. They start rhyming off their CV and all my eyes get rolled. And it's not like it's a question that we don't know that's coming, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the natural question. But yet we just don't take the time to frame ourselves. And it's not about an elevator pitch. It's about what is the experience you want them, want to leave them with. Mm -hmm. So for example, when people ask me, you know, you know, what do you do? First of all, unless you're a management consultant, no one understands what management consultant is. Yeah. Like my friends call me Chandler because uh, they have no clue what I do. So I don't know if you know Chandler from For friends. friends. Yeah. <laughs> no one know what, knows what he actually did. Uh, so that's what I got coined as. So when I talk to people and that you know that are not from the consulting world. I actually say, you know what, I actually help, I teach people business life skills, I'm a podcaster, an author, and honestly, I'm obsessed with Gordon Ramsay. And 
it's so short and sweet. And I pause because people also underestimate the value of a good pause. Mm. They have to take time to digest what you just said because it was so short, sweet, and concise. And they didn't have to work hard for it. And most times, nine out of ten times, someone will be like, why are you obsessed with Gordon Ramsay? He speaks this way. You like that? Or he's just a marketing genius. Or And they get really kind of curious about that. And it becomes an icebreaker because I share them something a little bit personal about myself. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing. Like I, people, I have now connected more, more people around food than they have my skills. Mm. And then they get to know me a little bit more of what else can I do? Because I became likable right off the bat, right? Yeah. Like, and, and that's something else. We just don't take the time to be more of ourselves and authentic. We're too busy thinking about how we need to be, you know, perceived and what's the right words. And we get nervous about that as opposed to just being ourselves and showing the quirky side, right? Just show them a little glimpse of you. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. So now, as you mentioned that, it got me thinking, you you said something personal with Gordon Ramsay, and then you're also a podcaster, so you're naturally networking and meeting people. Now, in terms of your podcasting experience and career, has that added any additional flavor to your networking skill set? Mm, totally. Um, one, I, I mean, podcasting has been a great way to meet new people and really open that up. But the second thing is the stories that I get to tell mm -hmm. from all the podcast interviews and the fact that I can put like, you know, cannabis and this food and this other farming industry mm. and go, Oh, can you imagine if this happened? Like I've become that much more innovative because I've actually been able to hear so many other people's stories and journeys. Yeah. It's been mind blowing. Like I already know my second, third and fourth book already. And I am just trying to prioritize which one uh, <laughs> to go next because it just, I have so many ideas and, you know, and I'm already a curious person to begin with. And I love learning so much. And these people teach me so much yeah. every episode. I mean, I'm sure you find that too. Yes, 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 I do. But I, I was just thinking about it because um, I know if you're in a classroom situation and you get that question of, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to network. This is, this, I think podcasting is one of the best ways to actually overcome that fear of talking to a stranger and just getting to know people because you prepare up front, you have the person captive for 30 minutes, one hour, whatever it is, and then you start asking questions. And after a while, if you just stick to your script, you find that your conversation is not going to be memorable and enduring. But when you start thinking, okay, where's this person coming from? What's the goal of this podcast? What's the goal of this person? How can I enrich myself when you have three, four different goals you're trying to bring out, it makes you think, okay, you know what? If we're trying to do all this, I need to be efficient enough where if I ask this one question, it can meet the need of the listener. It can meet my need because I learned something too. And it will meet her need because it positions Satna as an expert and she's able to share her story and her understanding in a deeper and clearer way that tells the audience that, wow, this is somebody that we should really hire and bring into our business. Have you ever applied that or told your students to uh, do a podcasting uh, capstone project or something? I, well, they some of them actually tried to do some of it, and they just found it really nerve wracking. Uh, and the and, and the issue was is that they weren't confident in the questions they wanted to mm. ask. 
And what I kept saying is, guys, you got to think about what it is that you're trying to get out of it. Like, what are you curious about? Mm-hmm. And the fact that they weren't that le- at that level of curious about the individual, then it was a script that they were reading, right? Yeah. It's just like a telemarketer calling you and you know what they're going to say, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's what I was saying with them. Like, when you do these types of activities, you get to learn and you learn to ask better questions. questions it yeah. comes with experience. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, because I've always worked with C-level executives, right? Like you ask one question, they'll give you an answer. But then when you ask the second question, cause you open up the onion, that's when you start to really see what's kind of really going underneath, you know, the mm-hmm. soil in the organization and so on. But you need to have that ability to ask questions and do that research beforehand. Yeah. And it's really relevant in all of those areas. And nobody does that level of due diligence. Mm-hmm. They're just, everyone's too busy. They think volume trumps quality. Yeah. And I keep saying, no, I could have done a five day or seven day a week podcast, but I wasn't going to put enough quality into it. It's and true. quality is more important to me than just volume. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. And I read a bunch of case studies in the book, but one thing that stuck out to me was when you were talking about, you know, what the nonverbal side of networking, so being approachable, body language, and all that stuff. Could you um, share a little bit more about that? Yeah, totally. It's amazing how much we forget about our body language. My dad, okay, he, my dad is going to one day other just, well, he's going to laugh at me when he finds out all the stories I've actually told about him. <laughs> when I was growing up, and by the way, guys, I'm actually, for all the listeners out there, I am Indian, uh, British Canadian Indian. So I am not Chinese or Asian of any descent. But when I was coming home from school, my dad was always watching Asian TV. He loved watching all of those dramas that were either in Cantonese or Mandarin and everything else. And there was no subtitles. Really? None. And I would say to my dad, how are you watching this? And he says, I really enjoy it. It's really good. And I said, but how do you understand anything? And he says, you could totally tell by the body language. You could totally tell by the tone of their voice. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he goes, and you know what? You know, a lot of these kung fu movies are just like Indian Bollywood movies, mm-hmm. except there's no dancing. There's kung fu. And I like that better. But he, he was right. Right. Really? We can always tell what people are saying or doing just by their body language and what they're doing and whether they're making eye contact. Hmm. So, for example, when you go to a restaurant, when you look around the room, look, find a couple. Mm-hmm. Or just two people or a group of people and guess what they're up to or guess their relationship. Yes, I've done that before. <laughs> right? You don't even have to hear anything, but yes. you can tell by yeah. their you, gestures. Yes, you can tell who's on the first date and who's been been together for a long time. Yes, you're <laughs> totally right. <laughs> it's amazing that we forget. So being that we observe that. Do are we aware of what body language we're holding when we're talking to people? Mm. Are we coming across as defensive? Are we coming across as open? You know, my favorite is when people go to a networking event and they bring a wingman, but they actually bring 20 and they all stand at a corner together and they don't allow anyone to come into that circle. Mm. They're laughing with themselves, right? Like, but you're at a networking event. Didn't you yeah. want to meet people? But you're definitely making it. I'm not coming over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm an extrovert and I never, I don't want to go over to break that, you know, closeness. So it makes you kind of stop and think about, hey, let's go back to the basics, right? Like, let's remember 
how much of our nonverbal cues we're giving out there. Mm. Like, are we not smiling? Are we not making eye contact? Like there was this guy that I followed on Instagram for quite some time. And honestly, I was so excited to finally meet him because I really found him endearing. And honestly, when I met him finally, he didn't make any eye contact with me. So I thought, oh, I've, I've done something to him. And then later on that event, a couple of people and I were talking and they're like, yeah, he didn't talk to any of us. Like, he didn't make eye contact. So I was happy it wasn't just me, okay. but it was all of us. But the worst thing was is that all of a sudden, even though we enjoyed his content that he had created on Instagram, we no longer trusted it mm. because he couldn't connect with us in real life. True. Very right? true. Yes. And I, I think I remember reading, I think it's Bill Clinton's biography or something where the author was talking about how everybody that meets with Clinton always feels like, oh, he's their special friend because he has a way where when he shakes your hand, he looks deeply into your hand. Even if he's saying, oh, how are you doing or something, you feel like you're the only person in the room or something. But, there, but there's a way that he just looks into your eyes like he genuinely wants to know what's going on with you that makes you feel, oh, wow, I really like and I really trust this person. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I can totally imagine that. Because, again, when people actually pay, t- and this goes back to mindfulness, too, right? Mm-hmm. When you just actually spend two minutes in the moment with that actual person making eye contact, smiling, nodding your head gently, they, you feel warm and mm-hmm. welcome, right? Like, they make you feel like you want to stick around, that you're not unwelcome. And that's a huge difference. Like it makes a big difference. And yet I've been to so many places, people's heads are down on the phone. They barely make eye contact. They don't even smile. And I'm like, okay, nice to meet you too. I'm out of here because I don't want to talk to you <laughs> either, right? Yeah, true, true, true. Now there was another chapter in the book where you compared networking to dating and you also talked about interviewing a dating coach. So let's, let's break it down for the people that are listening to, to show the similarities and the differences and what you took out from that experience in, in the dating world and how people can apply that in networking for business or for career advancement purposes. Yeah, a lot of people have asked me that I couldn't believe that I actually interviewed a celebrity matchmaker to talk about this because... Here's the truth of the matter. Just like dating, we only have, what, seven seconds to make a great first impression? Mm -hmm. So I had to ask the guru herself, how do I do that? Like, how do I make that impression? And she was telling me such interesting stories. So, for example, people that go to any type of social event and if they are dressed inappropriately, they tend to focus so much inwards on themselves because they already feel even more uncomfortable. Mm. Right. And it makes a difference, right? Like when you, if you turn up to a black tie event in jeans, you're going to be so embarrassed the entire time that yep. you didn't dress appropriately that you forget about everything else or making the most out of it. You've already displaced yourself. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is, she's like, you know, definitely take a bit of time to think about, you know, what is the image that you want to project? Like, you know, if you're going on a date, you maybe want to dress a little bit more sexy, where if you're going to a network event, you want to dress more professional. And here's the funny part. I don't know how many networking events you've been to, but I've seen so many people with ripped jeans, mm. unironed clothes, mm-hmm. stains on their shirts. Mm-hmm. And I don't even want, I don't want to talk about garlic or bad breath. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable, right? And these types of things are kind of like, wait a minute, you've seven seconds to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. And automatically, I think, do I want to be associated with you? And can you be associated with my brand? 
I don't think so, right? Yeah, you may true. be the most wonderful person, but I can't be standing beside you because yeah. it's going to look right. Yeah, especially when people come into an event looking sloppy, especially if it's like a networking event or some type of business event or even a social event. I try to, because I learned somewhere, I forgot what book it was, <laughs> but you always kind of have to err on, okay, think about where you're going to and if you think it's going to be casual, dress one or two steps above casual, but not like, super formal you know so that you always look at least you're well put together and you stand out and people are attracted and magnetized to you because you look clean cut uh, distinguished and you look like somebody they want to associate with Mm, totally or it's my favorite is when you see these people that are so busy or women i mean we are the worst at it we've got a handbag that's so big it's so overflowing we've got a bunch of stuff in our hands you've got a phone and your hair's a mess and you just look so chaotic and i'm like oh my gosh just looking at you you give me anxiety (laughs) right because you don't feel like you're in a calm space right Mm. that you can actually have i feel like i'm gonna get drawn into your chaos and i don't want to right and you just kind of go whoa it's amazing. Like all these things we do, we just don't think enough. And yes, of course, we're totally busy. But again, it goes back to being in that moment about what is it that we're trying to get from here? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to do? Are we trying to find and network with executives? Am I somebody that an executive would want to have a picture next to? Or Mm -hmm. am I somebody, an executive or somebody senior would want to introduce me to their circle of friends? True. Right? Yeah. And... As we start to wind on the show, let's 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 talk a little bit about on the online space when it comes to networking. So connecting with people on social media, say LinkedIn, Instagram, I think Facebook, or mm-hmm. or maybe just LinkedIn, and then we can we might talk cover the other two if you want to. But when it comes to okay, doing online networking and reaching out, especially if it's from somebody that you've never met before how does one do that in such a way that you don't come off as pushy but you're also coming off as someone that okay yes i i will be willing to connect with you or follow you on my network and then hopefully you don't ruin the relationship by posting stuff that is negative or distasteful you know all social platforms it's the same thing you've got to provide value to the person that you are trying to connect with and this means that you know maybe once in a while you like a post now don't go stalkerish on them and start mm-hmm. you know retweeting everything they do or liking everything they do because that's a little weird that you mm-hmm. came out of the blue but if you like something and you're like, oh, and just once or twice, you know, and here, and then maybe next time you'll feel a bit more confident to actually add a comment to it. And then maybe next time you'll share their content. Do you know that is such a huge compliment to anyone that produces content when somebody shares? Like, I don't know about you, gee, I get warm, tingly, spidey, you know, whatever, because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, someone thought it was valuable enough to share. Mm-hmm. I look at them, right? Like, yeah. You're just so like, wow, that is so nice of you to share amongst your peers. And it makes me kind of intrigued with you a little bit more. And that's the same thing that goes for anybody, right? Like if they, you see a speaker on stage and you go and talk to them for a bit afterwards and you took a picture with them and later on you tweet or, you know, put it on Instagram, wherever, and you put on what value you found from them, Mm -hmm. they are going to remember you. Yeah. They are going to take notice of you because you're providing value. And value doesn't have to just be about extending their brand. It could be that you see an article that you thought might be interesting to them, right? And you can start. I have developed so many relationships with people I will probably never meet face-to-face. 
Like, I think I have more social connections than anything else. Like, I always hate the ones where I get on LinkedIn of, hey, hey, can we connect? I'd like to add you to my LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and so I could tell you about my product. Yes, I hate those. Right? Delete, right? Like, don't you kind of just go, I, block. you're block, block. I should do that. You know, why would I want to? Why am I going to buy anything from someone that I don't know anything about? Mm -hmm. Like, I never understand that. You know, and again, it goes back to all of that. And, it, you know, and with consulting, I keep saying that, you know, yes, you're, you, we all heard that saying your net worth is based on all your networks, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is when you've delivered something, like yesterday I got a phone call from a, a client of mine that I had like about a year ago saying something, I know that this is so not your forte, but you're the only person I trust that can figure it all out and make magic happen. Mm. Wow. She's like, can you come in so we can sign the contract and get you started? And, you know, it, like, holy, that's amazing, right? Like, that is the type of thing that you want. And so in social networking, when you are posting stuff, you need to always have a sense of decorum. Yeah. Other people are reading it. Like, don't go and be all negative on someone's post. Offer a different perspective in a positive way so you don't get seen as a negative person but you're providing a different point of view in a very professional manner mm. right mm -hmm. people pay attention people will be like hey and all of a sudden you'll find you have new followers based on how you've handled something and this is really big in the social space and you it's amazing you will people really want to connect with people in a social network environment more so than ever mm -hmm. it's because they just don't have time to travel all the way into a city and do all those things. They want to get to know you a little bit before they actually invest time in you. Yeah. And, I, and especially I find that even influential people and celebrities and influencers, so thought leaders or people like you look up to and you admire, like take, for example, I saw a quote of Keith Ferrazzi in your book. Now, he's one guy, I read his book a long time ago. I really liked it. I started following him on social media, you know, sometimes retweet his stuff, connect with him. I was surprised to see that one day after all this, it's, it's, it's been many years since I first connected with him. I saw that he started following me back too on uh, Instagram or something. And he liked one of the podcasts I released. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that this guy was even seeing me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's amazing, right? Like, you just got to think every time, am I providing? value if not don't post anything don't do something right yeah. like there's no point of doing it because then you're just noise very true very true now Sapna, as we start to wind down the show i know you're coming up with a new course for management consultant and it has to do with uh, future proofing and getting people to prepare for the career that is fast changing in the world so every career is fast changing but now with ai uh, vr ir whatever r it is you know things are moving at a much rapid pace than we're used to maybe 10 20 years ago so could you talk a little bit about you know future proofing your career and how people maybe not just management consultants in general but other professionals as well can think about future-proofing their careers and kind of becoming uh anti-fragile like nasim talib would call it mm, no i love that that's a smart way of saying it uh so yeah this future-proof online course it's going to be it's actually based on management consulting best practices so consultants to, in order for us to get the big dollars that we get is because not only do we add value, we are ahead of the curve and people want us for our expertise. Mm -hmm. So I actually teach people exactly how to stay ahead of the curve because if you think your role is going to be automated, 
yeah, it's probably going to be automated. But if you're thinking it's going to get automated in 10 years after you retire, you got to think again. That the pace of change is happening is uh, we're actually at the slow end of change. We're just getting really started and ramped up and things are moving very, very fast. Like I remember way back when, where I used to tell clients, oh yeah, I'll take months to do that. Then I changed my words going, yep, I'll take weeks. Next thing I knew I said days. Next thing I knew I said seconds. Hmm. And now I say milliseconds. It's crazy because that's how fast things are moving and shaping. Mm-hmm. So I actually teaching people about how to be like management, how you stay ahead. It doesn't mean that you have to do all these things to get the bigger paycheck, but you will get noticed and promoted inside of your companies. You will get visibility in a very different thing and you'll get opportunities that you never saw happening before. And it's all about doing small tweaks to how you speak a certain language. You start speaking the language of the executives and start thinking a little bit more differently and really prepare yourself that it's not just a clicking in from a nine to five job. Like I even did a blog post saying, you know, I've been a virtual worker my entire career. Like uh, it's unbelievable. I can work from anywhere, but I've always knew that it came with a sense of responsibility. Oh gosh, is that Spider-Man or a Superman quote? Mm. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man. 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 <laughs> because ultimately, it's no longer about me clocking in on a laptop from nine to five. It's about what results did I pr- produce? Yes. What ROI did my company get from me for the 40 hours that I just billed them? Mm. And it's a really different sense of responsibility and a shift in our mindset to think a little bit differently. And it's not about work-life balance. It's about work-life integration. So yes, you don't have to apologize for having a doctor's appointment in the morning because that's okay. However, you not delivering a report or delivering a report with high quality and doing due diligence and checking so that a boss can easily send it to their boss and not understanding the stakeholders, that's not acceptable anymore. And it's really different because companies really want their employees to be a lot more thinkers, a lot more innovators because they need their employees to do it because the company needs to be more innovative or they're going to be disrupted. Mm. So it's actually a win-win, but yet no one's teaching the employees how to be that person. Okay. So one second. So is the change more on the soft side or are you also teaching adoption of technical skills like learning to code and stuff like that? No, no, okay. soft side, soft okay. side. Okay. Yeah, totally soft side. And because I, you know, honestly, there's so many things you can learn from a technical. And I honestly can't code with it. Well, that's not true. I can code because now I've learned that there's all these new cheat sheets for coding. It's amazing. But it really is about your soft skills. Okay. But again, your internal brand and mm-hmm. how are you getting maximum exposure inside your organization and also outside? Yeah. You know, you're only as good as you are deemed at marketable level. So as if you don't have marketable skills on the outside, you're going to struggle. So how do you think a little bit differently and how do you make sure and how do you test whether or not you're marketable or not? And it's not a scary thing. It's once you understand the gaps that you have, then you can come up with a plan. And that's exactly what I also show as well. So yes, it's a kind of, it's been inspired by, again, all these different people that are struggling so hard, mm-hmm. not just have, they find a job, but then they get stuck that they can't get promoted or they can't find another job that's like that. Because honestly, that role barely exists anymore sure. in those companies, right? So that's kind of where it's going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Safna, we've redone the show. I really appreciate you coming to share your story, to tell us more about um, connecting the dots and your career trajectory. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit about where we can find you, connect with you, do business with you. And I know you have a little gift for the listeners of the show. 
Oh, I always have little gifts. Well, first of all, you can connect with me anywhere. LinkedIn is probably the easiest place because I tend to be there quite a bit. Okay. But you can email me very easily at me at sapnamalhotra.io. I try to keep it simple. Uh, so you can find me there and obviously on the Canada podcast. And honestly, for your listeners, I have a couple of great things for you guys. One is I have an optimization uh, about how to you know maximize your networking efforts without doing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get to do less and get more results just by tweaking a few things. And you know, so I have that little freebie for you guys as well. And then of course, if you got the book, I will definitely give you the companion workbook so you can actually do something work and figure out where your network network is and where you're trying to go okay so what can people find the book on amazon and um i know in per- live well i say in person in real life <laughs> uh, uh, indigo books or where <laughs> yeah so it's at amazon barnes and nova okay. a lot of the different big players are okay. out there and yeah and you know you find me on, on the website and i can send you all the links so you can put it in the show notes all right definitely we'll do that thanks a lot thanks a lot for coming to share your story and your words of wisdom Sapna. i truly appreciate you taking the time to do this today well, no, Chi, the honor is honestly all mine. I love talking, chatting, and honestly, I hope I provided value to your listeners. And Chi, keep doing what you're doing because you've got a brilliant podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast at www.odogwu.com.